And welcome to uh, this episode of the Sports United Podcast. We have a wonderful guest back. Welcome back to the podcast, uh, Kasra. Thanks so much for coming back. Uh, thanks, man. Thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure. So for those of you who don't know, Cass uh, is over in the UK, uh, where mutant uh, people are being born. Uh, so how is it going over in uh, the UK? Uh, it's uh, so- something like that, but I don't know if it's because of the virus. I just think it's something that's been going on for a couple of centuries. Uh, and I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, uh, it's, 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 it's weird. Basically, it kind of feels like uh, March, but without the novelty of, ooh, there's a pandemic. It's just like, oh, crap, this again. That's, that's the vibe right now. And uh, yeah. Well, uh, one thing that's still going strong is football. The pandemic or not, they will never not play football. Uh, we, I, don't say that. Don't jinx it. <laughs> uh, well, they did finish off the 2019-2020 season. Yeah. Uh, what was the biggest surprise uh, from that besides the little bit break that happened? Uh, I guess surprise. I guess uh, depends on who you ask, but like for me, it was a fact that Liverpool wasn't able to actually break the record. Uh, I, I I thought I thought they were going to break the record, and I, they came just short because just they had that good of a team, and like they were just leading up to it, they were on, in a position in such a good position to get there that the fact that they didn't was kind of a surprise to me. Uh, but uh, besides that, it was seeing Leicester City have another strong, consistent performance, even though they didn't finish super high, it, they didn't finish in the bottom half of the table. That was a Good surprise because I was kind of expecting them to, you know, for their success to be uh, not to be kind of temporary, not be so long lasting. And uh, obviously, the Wolves, if, if you didn't believe in the Wolves, it was a surprise that they finished where they did. Uh, I think sixth, right? I think that's where they finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah. It, I, as I said, uh, and I think last time I was on, I, I mentioned like that. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about this probably later when we talk about this season. But it's to me, to me, it's a bigger surprise this season that they are where they are as, and they're not in the top six or top five right now because they just have that good, uh, a talented squad. But obviously, there was a that really freak injury that you probably have seen or heard of to Heminus, where yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we might talk about that later. But yeah, so those those were the surprises on the end of things was. Uh, Bournemouth going down uh, because uh, their Bournemouth as a coach had a coach named last season called Eddie Howe, which was this person who the media like most young, exciting British coaches that play attractive uh, attacking football. Uh, you know, we, we had such high expectations for them and the previous season they had done decent enough to expect that they would make the next jump and finish in the top half. But them go there. Bournemouth going down was just a complete surprise to me. Uh, in the beginning of the season, that's not uh, I would have expected them to be. I thought even during the break, they would get their crap together, but they didn't, and they went down. Yeah, so let's jump up. September comes, and we start the Premier League. 
uh, kind of like normal. Uh, what uh, what was the reception like over there uh, for the start? Was it exciting? Was it kind of normal, that kind of sense of a new season beginning? Uh, or was it like a relief, like, oh, something we can look forward to and watch while the rest of the world is doing whatever it is? I'm sorry, is this is this the return of after the break or the start of this new season? The start of this new season. This new season. Uh, well, I feel like this this was like a really weird season because uh, there was such a short break, sh- short summer break. It felt like it almost felt like the last season hadn't even really ended. You're just like there was a month where there was transfer talks where usually there's two, three months of just dead international not not dead internet but there's no premier league but there's international football and there's that break so i guess everyone was happy but we, we couldn't really even because the last season had just finished it just almost at least in my head felt kind of like a continuation i think like the break between the two seasons was less than the break that it was because of the COVID lockdown so when like the last game happened in march and then again at the end of may i think it was that was shorter that was longer than the break between the two seasons uh but yeah i mean obviously everyone's happy uh at least uh we have something to cope use something to use to cope with and yeah it was uh, it was very uh, for me it was very exciting and also at least for me it was also because i followed uh, north american sports too so like having the NBA happen at the same time, kind of why, like the near, like I think the finals were happening in the NBA while uh, the seasons were on break. So I just feel like there was once uh, the lockdown restrictions in May eased up, uh, uh, sorry, in, uh, yeah, beginning of June eased up. After June, I just feel like I've been consuming sports nonstop. So there's been something, there's been, yeah. Mm. Have any teams uh, allowed some sort of uh, a capacity of fans in the stands in the NFL, uh, depending on the state, of course, uh, many teams, regardless of what the state said, said, no, we're not going to have fans or uh, towards the end of the, they let a hundred fans in or something. Um, But then you got places like Florida that started, we're like, Oh, 20% capacity. Uh, and then halfway through the season, the state of Florida went, no, no, you can have 100% capacity if you want. The teams didn't because they know how dangerous that is, but they still let the 20 and the Super Bowl is in what? Florida this year. Yeah. So Florida was <laughs> ha- about week six or uh, whenever that was <laughs> in the fall. Florida was like, no, no, theme parks, sports stadiums, restaurants, you can have 100% capacity. It's fine. And no one, no theme park, no sports team, no, maybe some restaurants, I'm sure. But majority of things in Florida were like, we're not having 100% capacity. Uh, The numbers kept going up there, but the state was like, no, no, it's fine. Uh, And it's funny because the Super Bowl is in Florida this year. So we still don't know what kind of capacity they're going to let uh, people in in February because we're coming up really, really fast. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, have uh, have any teams allowed fans in the stands? Uh, well, I think uh, it obviously it's not up to the teams initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there was 
as it stands, there is a tiering system. Uh, you might have heard of it. We have tier one to four. Right now, I'm in London, tier four. Uh, you can't do anything, basically. It's, it's March all over again. Uh, but if you were in tier one, you were allowed to have uh, up to 4,000 people. If you're in tier two, you're up to have up to 2,000. And in tier three and four, you're not allowed to have fans. Uh, and um, yeah, so teams uh, like teams obviously want the fans. So if the government allow them, uh, they you know they let people in. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about the ticketing and how that works. But uh, the first team to actually do it was uh, Brighton in a friendly match against Chelsea uh, right in the preseason this year. I think it was like late August that they were the first team to try to test out to see how does COVID, you know, how they're going to have fans in the stadium. And I believe that the government actually used their modeling system uh, and like what they found from letting the fans in that trial run to have like a national um, policy for, you know, what teams should follow, what guidelines that for teams to follow if they let fans into the stadium. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, if you're a casual fan, you're not going to really get a chance to see the game because uh, season ticket holders get dips. And mm. as you would imagine, people that have been deprived from sport who are already so passionate that, you know, most people go to most matches of the team that their season fan tickets, uh, that season tickets for. Uh, yeah, it's 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 basically impossible to uh, get tickets. So I haven't been able to go to a match this season. I, especially with these new restrictions, don't think I will be able to this season at all. Uh, and I don't, you know, barring you know, vaccine vaccination of people, mass vaccination for the next two three years, I have come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to be able to watch live soccer in this country tree at least yeah that's the the hard thing about it uh, you see so many different timelines and tables and everyone has a different opinion you see in the states uh you know dr fauci said uh you know don't expect 100 percent capacity in any sports stadiums till uh, i think he said late summer which it's pretty, at this point, you're probably thinking, oh, I can wait another six months for, you know, to go to a game and all that. You hear the fall in some cases, you hear 2022. It, it's so topsy-turvy. I think a lot of people just try and find the closest timeline to where they are now to feel better. Um, and then they just kind of push the real expectations. Uh, I... I still have no idea. I don't have an expectation or timetable. I mean, I'm hoping for the summer. It'd be lovely to go see uh, a game. Um, I know junior hockey is trying to get started, but it keeps getting pushed back. As much as I would like to just sit in an arena and watch hockey, I, I don't think at least this winter or spring I would do it. Um, even if I did have the vaccine, I, I don't. I don't know. I think it'd be weird. Although maybe once I do get the vaccine, I would be be like, oh, yeah, cool. I'd still wear a mask, but I have the vaccine. So you kind of have that shield. I, I, I don't know how you process this, uh, but in my head, uh, being outdoor, like a soccer stadium, football stadium, uh, if anything with a field, basically, I would feel very comfortable being in the stands. 
mm-hmm. uh, being in an NBA stadium or like an arena with a court or a rink that's closed. So I don't know if I had the option, I would do that. So that is true. Yeah, I did with hockey. That's indoor. That's, yeah. that's risky. I did play. I played uh, football all summer uh, outside and all that. And I didn't feel, I mean, the summer is so different from where we are six months later. Uh, but uh, yeah, I felt safe playing sports outside in an open field. So I, yeah, start with outdoor sports. Now, uh, there was an international break. Uh, should there have been an international break? Uh, was it good for the players to kind of have that extra rest since you said there was a shorter off season? Um, and do the fans see that break as more of like that extended off season? Uh, and now we're kind of like in the thick of it in December. Um, I, I, I don't see the point to it. Uh, just because, like, uh, as you know, like I follow the Iranian national team pretty religiously, and just seeing the problems that it caused for players who were invited to play two friendly matches, even though there is no official matches scheduled until uh, the sum after s- the beginning of summer this year for Asia, it was like it was so pointless to me, and like. There, there's literally cases of two players in the Iranian national team who uh, were new signings with their club and them coming to play in an international team or during the break hurt their chances to start at the beginning of the season because they had to go into isolation when they lasted, so when they landed back with their new teams. And uh, I, I don't think the, the international break was a good idea. I feel like maybe the second one in November... At least from an Asian perspective, that's uh, that's my uh, uh, view of it. It that made a bit more sense because it's closer to the match dates. But uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't needed, and yeah, I, I really I don't see how things are going to work out when they actually do Euro twenty twenty things like that. It's these major tournaments. Their quality is going to be very low because. Uh, some players refuse to join their national teams because they don't want to deal with the restrictions of entering and exiting countries and have their club and their pockets affected. So, yeah, it's... But then again, this is the thing, like, what are we going to not have international sports for three, four years until this thing is over? So, I don't know. I don't know. Two, yeah, so... To me, it, the first international break sucked, but the most recent one kind of made sense. But I feel like there needs to be a better system where it's like you base it. Basically, FIFA needed to do a better job of setting slots of two months where international things happen, like all the competitions for all uh, continents. Figure out your crap, just sort them out within these two months windows. Uh, and then let the leagues know to plan around it. But they didn't do that. And it's they're kind of basically trying to do act as if things ha- as if COVID hasn't cha- you know happened. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, we're going to have an international break for a week and a half and then go back to your club halfway across the world. It doesn't make sense. Do you think do, 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 that, that makes sense? Do you think uh, 
maybe well i mean that's hard to say because fifa doesn't fifa plays by its own rules it's like its own country but do you think that this is a good chance for uh, someone to suggest that the international break model be switched at all or has it ever had to be fixed until something like a pandemic happened where you said that you know week and a half break usually players go they play and then they kind of come back do you think that that stress plays a factor uh, and that the model should be revisited uh honestly yeah yeah i, I do i do think that uh, it's broken it's it doesn't make sense that you have like in in the beginning of fall you have like two or three international breaks uh happen within a span of two months where it's like oh we're gonna have club soccer for two weeks and international soccer for two weeks and then club soccer for two weeks international soccer for two weeks it's it's very it's hard to get into a rhythm and until the pandemic started but you know that hadn't been as obvious but then you and then you get a scenario like right now where basically from the end of November until uh, late January, there is no internet. So there's like two months of no international matches. And it's like, there's no consistency. And yeah, it, it definitely needs to be looked over. But unfortunately, when you have something, uh, sport like soccer, where it's 180 something countries that participate, it's very hard to plan things. Mm. Uh, you know, you there's cultural factors, weather factors, it's, it's outdoor sport. Like you can't really expect teams in the, uh, you know, like Russia and like ice, uh, Iceland, like Nordic teams uh, to adjust their domestic leagues to be what it is for. Because I don't know if you know, like right now there's no soccer in Russia because it's just too, too cold. They, mm-hmm. their seasons are like weird times. It's kind of like North America, how MLS has, happens in the summer. So yeah. Yeah. The, 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 so basically, long story short, the, the model needs to be reassessed, but I'm not going to pretend like there's an easy answer. Someone with a PhD out there is going to have, uh, you know, an idea and they're going to make millions off of it. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's, uh, FIFA, it's, it's FIFA, though. So, yeah, no yeah, one, efficient ideas don't win in FIFA. No. <laughs> well, when you're FIFA, you have to make your and, you know, film your own movie and use your own money to pay actors to make yourself look good. So yeah, there you go. So uh, getting back to the Premier League for this season, uh, you know, uh, no surprise that uh, we had, you know, Liverpool, Man City, Man U and Chelsea qualify for the Champions League from last year. Uh, Europa saw Arsenal, Leicester City and Tottenham. Um, and there was the weird thing because we uh, the the wolves finished six but the seventh place or eighth place team quality there's i really had to read into it because it was so confusing um but it was because i believe chelsea had won something so they call uh, it was yeah. very confusing and um but, there, there's because there's like multiple paths to these tournaments yeah. right so if you win the league or finish in a certain spot you make it but if you win things like fa cup you get an automatic spot and then uh, if you already finish in the league in a spot that you qualify you, that gives an extra spot to another team in that league to be able to move in. Yeah, it's uh, it's not simple. It's, you can't just look at something. Yeah. Um, but uh, like you were saying earlier, regulated, 
uh, was Watford, Norwich City, which those two were not surprising. But you said uh, Bournemouth was, uh, do you think they're just going to make a one stop and then move back up again? Or do they need time to develop down? Uh, I mean, first of all, it's actually, it's, it's pretty funny now because it, I'm kind of realizing that I'm becoming a bit of a Brit because you're pronouncing the name of the teams the way I did when I had just moved here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Norwich City. It's Norwich. <laughs> but then um, here you am like, oh, no, if you did that, people would be like, do what they did to me. Laugh at me. <laughs> but, uh, Sorry, do I need to say uh, Norwich? But, Is that better? <laughs> yeah, like apparently they just don't pronounce half of the letters here. It's like Norwich. It's like, okay. Uh, but okay, there's yeah. a W. Yeah, it's how do how do I know that? <laughs> it's, or like like yeah, I used to call it Leicester City, but it's Leicester. Yeah. It's like then why do we have all these things in the middle? What the? F- <laughs> um, uh, uh, so of the teams that you mentioned, it just goes to show you how competitive the league is. That when I looked at that bunch, I don't think any of them, maybe outside of Watford, really deserve to be relegated and so because of that i don't think at least i feel like norwich is going to come back up right away uh bournemouth has a good chance of coming back up uh because it turns out that their old coach eddie howe wasn't the genius that the british media made him out to be and uh you know as somebody that's not him is able to perform well with him uh I think Watford's going to have a hard time and that's because of ownership issues. Uh, they don't seem to have any consistency. They fire coaches left and right. I believe that they're on their fourth manager in two seasons Ooh. and that's, yeah, uh, stability. As, as a Browns fan, if there's anything I know, <laughs> instability just makes your team worse. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I I do think that two of those teams are going to come back up and then a floater, someone like uh, probably Brentford uh, is going to, someone that wasn't like in the playoffs last season, but Mm. Brentford or Cardiff, one of those two teams that was in the championship playoffs just uh, didn't make it, is going to be the team that comes up. Classic floater team. Mm. Now the teams that were promoted were Leeds, uh, West Bromwich and Fulham. Uh, and looking at the table as of today, uh, uh, Fulham and uh, West Bromwich uh, are in the bottom three. Um, Leeds is doing decent, uh, but poor Sheffield United have two points in 14 matches uh, from two draws. Uh, is it safe to say that they should book their tickets to the relegation zone already? Um, the, the thing it's Sheffield United is what it's a weird case because everyone, all neutral fans, will be able to tell you that this is not a team that has that should have the record that it has. I mean, worst case scenario, they might they should be uh, like where Fulham is, like on the eighteenth, uh, um, yeah, spot. on the bubble, yeah. But yeah, but. I mean, Brighton played them last week, and uh, even with 10 men, they managed to get a draw. I just feel like they've been very unlucky, uh, and they have the talent to pull, like, you know, 
uh, reverse their fortunes. All they need to do is win, like, what? The league, the bottom three is so bad right now that they just need to win, like, two to three games. That is true. You get three points for a win. So, I mean, yeah. the West, West Bromwich is at seven points. So you win two, you leap them, and then... Uh, you know, 18, 17, 16 all have 11, 12, 13 points. And even 15, uh, 15 seed lead is at 17 points. So, yeah, you get a, a win and a draw or you put together a couple of wins and you're right back in it. So you shouldn't say, but yeah, what, they're out. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. But then when you look at the historical records, I... I th- I might be wrong about this, but I don't think any team in history at this point of the season had so few points and managed to not get relegated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- I mean, they they could make history. They could be one of those teams that uh, you know stands out. That's true. We're almost at the halfway point because they've played fourteen yeah. matches, and it, you know, fourteen and fifteen matches is the average for teams right now, which is pretty close to halfway through so they got a, a tough second half of the the table to make history yeah, and, and, and also keep in mind is that who they would have to push into the relegation zone because even if we assume fulham and west brom are going to go down which west brom yeah they're they're they have a lot of talent but they're not premier league level yet uh, they would have to either push down brighton or burnley Mm-hmm. to that relegation spot and uh, not being a homer i do think that brighton is good enough not to go down and burnley is it's the most similar team to sheffield united both in the style of play and, and uh, you know the culture around it around the team uh, uh, but i just feel like their coach is scrappy enough to manage to not like the Burnley coach is scrappy enough to not have the team relegated. So I do think Sheffield, even if they do reverse their fortunes, it will be enough to get them an 18 spot and go mm. down. But I don't think, I don't think they will fire their manager because I, the reason they're in this position is like early season injuries to very cheap players, uh, new goalie. So long-term, I do think Sheffield will be back with a vengeance. So switching to the Champions League, uh, just like everything else, they last season had to be put on hold, kind of right in the midst of when it was getting down to it. Uh, But after the delay and the pushback, we had uh, the finishing uh, of the Champions League and the winner was Bayern Munich. Uh, Were you surprised at all or were they just kind of running on all cylinders that it was uh, you saw them doing well in the finals? Uh, I mean, I think actually the first sporting event I've watched at a pub is when they like uh, they, when they allowed us to go to pubs and watch stuff and have drinks indoors was Bayern Barca that, that day that I, I watched that match. And after that happened, I'm like, obviously, there is no surprise to this. They're, they're going to win it. Uh, I mean, it's easy to say that because it's quite late in the competition. To be like, <laughs> well, this team is doing really good late. But um, yeah, uh, they're just that good of a team. And uh, the thing that surprised me was uh, the Alfonso Davis. Like, I knew he was good, but holy crap, man. Like, 
that kid is talented. And he didn't even, he wasn't even playing like, I, I don't feel like he was even like at his best. He had a couple turnovers and he's still that good. So, yeah, would, would, a, would a team, would a, would a team like that, yeah, I guess it's not uh, really surprising after you spank Barcelona that you're going to win the whole thing. So, yeah, so it is true. So Alfonso Davies is pretty much uh, a bright star in Europe, as he is talked about over here. He doesn't even play here. At least this could be, you know, homerism that he's Canadian. But uh, he just won the uh, – he was a co-winner of the Athlete of the Year for Canada uh, with uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. Um, so uh, it's been a while since we have co-winners, uh, both of the same gender, but – uh, so he's and he made the FIFA top 11. So do you think he is on that, you know, the next, you know, big name in in soccer? Definitely. Uh, I mean, barring injuries, uh, that's the main thing to keep in mind. Uh, a player with the style that he has that relies a lot on his speed is a, a a wrong injury can I'm not saying he's not good enough his other attributes are also very good but hopefully he can keep this pace uh, that he has this acceleration for the next five years and I, I think he'll be con- he'll be if he goes at this rate he'll go down as in history as uh, one of the best uh, right backs it, there's there's no doubt about it and uh, just goes to show you how talented he is that Someone like Jonathan Davis, as uh, Jonathan David is almost like not even acknowledged mm-hmm. as a Canadian, even <laughs> though he's such a talented player. Like I, 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 I watched uh, the team that he used to play for in Belgium, Ghent, mm-hmm. because there's an Iranian player there, and uh, I was just like, after a while, I was like, "Fuck this Iranian guy!" Like this <laughs> Jonathan David is just so talented. <laughs> like this guy's awesome, and uh, he made it. He, he made a you know move to the French league, so hopefully he's gonna get more exposure once he blends in to a higher level competition and starts putting up the numbers that he did in Belgium and have that impact. I think uh, Canada have, assuming they have the right coach and the right system in and enough funding goes into it, uh, they will be able to make the World Cup regularly. So I do think even if they didn't get the 2026 automatic slot, they would have qualified based on talent alone. Yeah, so that I definitely uh, you've seen a big push, uh, especially with the rise uh, for so many years of how well the women's side has done. Um, the the coach uh, John Herman uh, moved is now coaching the men's side. Um, he left. He moved from the women's side to the men's side, so he's developing the men's program now. Um, do you think with Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David? Do you think uh, you know those are the building blocks for? to build Canada up um, so that they do, like you said, become a automatic, you know, thought to qualify for North America. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, what it comes down to is uh, funding, government funding and uh, the right, the right, right, uh, right people, in place and i'm not going to pretend like i know enough about the men's side of how soccer canada is run to make a judgment that 
but uh, yeah, if I guess I guess as if they're making the changes to have the person who was had so much success with the women's side run the men's side, they're already going down their right path. So now, um, speaking of the women's side, uh, is there a big appetite for uh, women's soccer over in Europe? I know a lot of clubs uh, have multiple teams, so. If you're talking about like Lion or uh, other teams like Bayern Munich, they're not just one. That's why they're clubs because they have different teams, different genders and different sports even. Um, is there a big appetite for women's soccer over in Europe? Um, I, or does I, it get it, talked about? Uh, I should say. It, it, it's, it's a country by country thing because again, Europe, big place, different uh, cultures, some... Uh, you have some machismo in particular parts of Europe that you don't have other places. Uh, but uh, I think the, the most recent World Cup, uh, 2019, right? That's That was the one, yeah, during the summer. I, I was actually pretty surprised by the amount of people that wanted to watch a game on TV because uh, uh, I'd, I'd seen that in Canada, but I just kind of assumed that that's because the Canadian women's team is decent so people want to actually watch canadian women rather than the men's i won't really care about the men's <laughs> as much uh whereas here it's uh here at, at once i noticed that uh you know at least for international uh mm-hmm. women's sports uh, for women's soccer there is appetite uh, i'm not gonna lie i don't think that there is that much excitement about women's club football like the only time I hear about anything is if I'm like following at the team's Twitter account and they post the women's results on the weekend. But on TV, I don't see any highlights for it. Uh, if I do see any women's club soccer highlights is from Reddit soccer. That's, yeah, you just don't see it on TV and people don't talk about it. And that's unfortunately because, you know, there is really good quality as we have seen in the international level. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, I know we talked about this the last time, um, but do you see the North American market with the NWSL uh, finding a, a way to become bigger uh, than in years past? Uh, the, the tournament at the beginning of the pandemic, it was the first uh, sport to return in North America, uh, was well received Uh just not sure if that was because it was the first sport back. So people had something to watch or uh, people were generally excited, but um, the, with the addition of LA is getting a team uh, that is backed by ho- high profile uh, women athletes like Serena Williams. Um, do you think that uh, there's a case that it could become big uh, and exist or is it going to be like a completely different universe? Like you're going to have the MLS and then you'll have the NWSL. MLS is still seen as kind of a, a niche uh, league, even though it has, you know, close to 25, 26 teams now. Uh, do you think that there it's big enough to, to get more? Or do you think it was just a niche one year? Everyone was excited for any sport. Uh, I'm, I, I think it's unfair to uh, discount the fact that people were excited to have any sport to be back on. Uh, but uh, I, 
with with that with that said, I don't see because and this this might be because of my uh, you know uh, previous conceptions that I have about this is that in North America soccer was considered like a girly sport up until very recently it was because it was like boys play at least like in media and stuff you that's that's that that was my idea like in the 90s and stuff in the 90s like it was uh intended to be something that it was like a competitive sports for women more so than the other parts of the world uh or at least you saw the participation of women more in soccer than you did in other places uh so and that generation of kids that grew up now would want to watch and yeah are now playing it professionally uh, so i think there is an appetite for it and of the competitive uh, uh team sports i think basketball uh, i mean not counting tennis some something that's not contact because i don't know if you consider soccer contact but of the contact sports I feel like soccer or uh, basketball would be the ones that there is definitely a market for for a, a professional women's league uh, but with that comes like decades of a marketing and that you need to be on that needs to be undone that do you, do you know what I mean like there is no, like a I know whole, what you mean. like generation or two of women d- of not watch, like participating in team sports like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you, do you yeah, think that could it, be it, it, the it reason? Can, it can be done, but uh, there is a deeper. Sorry. Uh, do you think that could be the reason Sorry, why? Sorry, got a bit choppy. <laughs> do you think that could be the reason why? Uh, you know, the Canadian women's side is so was so above and beyond for so many years because more girls were played soccer and harnessed their skill. Whereas, uh, you know, maybe uh, boys who were playing kind of soccer and baseball and football all when they were growing up were kind of directed, oh, go play, you know, football or, or baseball instead. Uh, hockey. Do you think, or hockey, yeah. Do you think that could be the reason why uh, the men's side was not as developed as the women's side? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, definitely. I definitely do feel like even for me with... Uh, I mean, you you know this better than everyone else. Like, I loved soccer when I moved to North America. And, I mean, there were people around me that played soccer, but played hockey or you played American football. Like, soccer was that that thing. Like, you, it was nothing was lame to play it, but, like, there was just that, like, part of the culture mm-hmm. of, like, the traditional man plays American football or plays uh, um, a hockey. You, 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 do you see? Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I, I do think. Yeah, yeah. Do you think um, maybe if this uh, the NWSL starts to gain popularity, um, that it might attract some of those players from Europe to come over and play? I know in the MLS it didn't really draw people, but there was millions and maybe even a few billion dollars thrown into the MLS over the years to bring in people like David Beckham, uh, like uh, Kaká, uh, bring them in uh, to play in the MLS to 
garner up attention, sell jerseys and grow the game audience wise. Uh, do you think just the amount of teams and positioning that they're trying to do with this league uh, will bring the talent in instead of just, Oh, here's a million dollars to come play for the LA galaxy. Uh, do you think building it kind of from the ground up will bring in the talent uh, differently than the MLS just throw money at it and it'll grow? Uh, I mean, it will help, but uh, I guess a more coherent way of saying what I was trying to say earlier is you can't do that without having the funding somehow to also have the cultural impact because there's like the talent being good enough to entice people to want to watch it. Mm -hmm. And then there is also just uh, culturally changing the mindset of the people that uh, women's sports is full of talented people. And it could, it could be, it, it is beautiful and like it, it is competitive and it has certain, some women's, uh, some high tier women's quality soccer leagues are better than a lot of men's uh, domestic uh, leagues. So it, it the talent is there, but I, I do think there is a uphill battle culturally to not just in the context of soccer to get women uh, to get people to follow women's sports like they do for something like tennis or golf. Do you think the rise in um, not women's feminism, but the push for equality and all that that's been happening in North America, do you think that could be a good catalyst uh, for a women's league to take off here in North America, at least? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's it it it's unfor unfortunately it, it's intertwined and like yeah, so. That, that's going to be a part of it, but uh, that's not going to happen without uh, funding and bringing stars over mm -hmm. from Europe. Uh, so they need to happen. Basically, what I'm getting is that those two things need to happen at the same time. It can't be one or the other. If, uh, if you pour all your money in bringing stars, uh, a niche uh, group of people are going to, that already like it, are going to watch the sport, uh, but you're not going to draw new people. But also at the same time, if you're just like, watch women's sports. We need to support women's sports, but there is no talent uh, compared to European level competition. Then, yeah, it's going to fall apart. So you're going to need both, unfortunately, because obviously for eons, men have been jerks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, that's that's a different podcast. We're getting political, but yeah, uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> that that's the. The quick answer is yes. Um, so I, I hope that they are successful in going forward. Uh, we'll have to wait for the new season to start. Um, and I don't believe the LA team starts until 2022, but it could be 2020. I don't know with the pandemic how they're sitting right now. So um, who knows? But one thing that is uh, coming up in the ranks is the 2022 World Cup. We are inching our way to the end of 2020, uh, which means 2021, that the year before the World Cup, that is the big make or break year, usually in qualification. Uh, the pandemic did not slow down uh, the beginning or reconcentration of qualification. 
Do you remember the qualification standards for CONCACAF? Uh, isn't it two direct and one playoff spot? Uh, close. It is three directs and, okay. or it might've been, uh, one big thing that used to be, uh, was the, uh, it, what it used to be was called the hexagon and CONCACAF made it so confusing for, you know, not a large amount of countries that it has, um, that it would have three qualification tiers. And then the final one was the hexagon. If you made it there, uh, you had, a, you know, basically a shot and just like how it sounds, a hexagon, uh, you play each other and top three in the hexagon wins. I don't know why they chose a hexagon. They thought it'd catch on. Uh, but <laughs> CONCACAF finally decided that no one really understood how the qualification started. Uh, you know, top two, top three, depending on where it was made, playoffs. So they scrapped all that, and we have a new process. And it's going to be a lot different than Europe. Uh, I hope it's more successful and easier. Um, and it actually takes in part the FIFA rankings. Uh, so those friendly matches uh, actually do come into play finally. And they've scrapped the hexagon. We've gone into an octagonal final round. We still love our shapes here, you know. <laughs> uh, so they place all the CONCACAF teams in order of their FIFA rankings. The top five teams, let me know if this sounds fair or not, they get a round, they get a bye to that octagonal final round. So they don't have to do anything until the final round. Teams yeah. ranked six to 35 because they only invite the top 40 i mean <laughs> when you get into the rankings of 170 so uh uh they begin the first round in group stages so there are six groups of five teams and they have been drawn and they will play a round robin in the group all six group so, winners will advance so to the what, next round uh this would be like teams the level like bahamas Kind of. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yes. So in the yeah. So uh, let me bring it up here. Uh, so the this uh, I think maybe in July um, the the first round was drawn the group stages. So Canada got drawn into Group B. They will be facing uh, Suriname, Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, and Aruba. They have to make it. Come on. <laughs> Uh, other teams uh, in this, so Group A has El Salvador, uh, Antigua and Barbuda, Grenada, Montserrat, and U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, there's Curaçao, Guatemala, St. Vincent, Cuba, British Virgin Islands. Group D has Panama, the Dominican Republic, Barbados, Dominica, and Anguilla. Group E has Haiti, Nicaragua, Belize, St. Lucia, Turks and Caicos. Group F, Trinidad and Tobago. St. Kitts, Guyana, Puerto Rico, Bahamas. So it's, uh, I don't want to say Canada should be the winner, but it's the clearest shot they have. <laughs> Wait, so so uh, you said the top five teams go into the final round automatically. Yes, automatically. And then from these, from, these, from these groups, the winners go to the next round? So, yeah, so each group winner, so there are six groups, uh, they yeah. will 
all group winners will advance to the second round, which is a uh, a home and away against. So, uh, gotcha. so winner in Group F will play winner in Group A. Group E will play winner in Group E's like that. So they'll play a home and away, and then those winners on aggregate will advance to that octagonal. Uh, qualification so already awaiting in the final round is honduras united states costa rica mexico and jamaica and they don't have to start to play until january of 2022 that's like that's like a couple months before the world cup i mean actually this is the winter world cup so yeah it makes sense huh uh, I guess oh, in the no, context sorry. of North America, that works. Sorry, they will start to play in September of 2021. But the latest, the final okay. round will go to is March 2022. Okay, gotcha, sense. gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess like in uh, considering the level of like talent uh, in North America and the, the disparity between levels i actually would like to see something like that for asia as well because right now you have things like teams like cambodia in the same group as iran it doesn't make sense to me like iran did great in last world cup cambodia is one of the worst teams it's like why is iran even playing them and beating them 14 nothing like that shouldn't be a thing Mm. so i actually do think that that is a that's a smart approach to just uh automatically give people a slot uh but i guess the problem with that is uh there's a lot of arguments around how valid of uh, representation our fifa ranking are to begin with so the counter argument to that would be that fifa rankings are not the best way of telling what's the best team mm-hmm. uh so yeah, I mean, it, that that'd be interesting. It's a good experiment in North America, and I, I do see I do see the benefits of that uh, applying for uh, for that continent continental competition. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess it's 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 all situational. Depends on uh, how many countries have to compete and the disparity of talent. Because in Europe, there, sure, there are some really bad teams, but uh, the disparity of talent between mid tier teams. Uh, of like El Salvador level and America is not as much as it is in Europe. Europe because like even a team like Sweden, which is middle of the pack, it's still a really good quality team uh, compared to someone like England. So mm-hmm. that model probably would not be fair in Europe if you just gave automatic final uh, slots, the final group stage to a certain uh, certain teams. Well, yeah, and that's. So I think this kind of puts CONCACAF uh, higher going forward compared to, uh, you know, like Europe, the qualification is just, uh, you just play around Robin and, you know, you either advance uh, by winning the, the group. And then if you don't, if you finish second, you get a second chance. The rest of the teams, too bad, so sad, try again in four years. Um, but going forward, starting with 2026, we are advancing the number of teams uh, to 48 teams. Is that too many teams in a World Cup? Um, 
I, I think it's too many teams. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I do want to see more teams get a chance to participate. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather see that through having the World Cup every two to three years, two or three years, rather than having more teams every four years. Ooh, that would be more exciting to me. Yeah. That's a better way of approaching it because if you're consistently good, you'll keep making it to the World Cups, but it still gives that chance that an off year, uh, I don't know, Kosovo can sneak, sneak in or something like that if someone in Europe is not performing to the level that they were supposed to. Whereas the every four-year model, yeah. yeah. I, I, I guess the problem with, with that I have uh, with having uh, more teams in the World Cup is we already do see quite big results sometimes in the group stages mm-hmm. and the quality of the game is pretty low when you get like Saudi Arabia playing Germany or whatever. So yeah, same amount of teams make it more often that way you get a one or two trickle down if they deserve to rather than having Tajikistan participate. So I, 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 I mean, I like that as a sports no fan. No offense <laughs> Yes, our, our, all of our listeners in Tajikistan, so sorry. Uh, but um, I, I, I mean, as a sports fan, there's something magical about watching the World Cup or like it's just that extra special. Every goal, every match, every mm-hmm. pass matters as opposed to, you know, round one in the Champions League when it's like, uh, oh, we, you know. There's won. always next year. Yeah. Um, I, it's, I almost feel like, yeah, 48 teams is a little bit of a jumbled mess. Like it's going to be, uh, I, we'll have to wait and see how different, um, conferences, uh, deal with the qualification and how many more, uh, spots are allocated per, uh, confederation, uh, because, you know, CONCACAF now gets three, and then a potential fourth if they win in a playoff. Uh, now those those playoffs um, will be changing as well. Uh, let me just bring it up here. But uh, because they get put into a pool uh, with uh, the Asia Conference, the Oceania, I, maybe I think it's Africa and another one. Europe doesn't get added. Um, and then they kind of get put in a draw and there are two matches there and the winners of those playoffs earn the final two spots. But going forward, we are going to have, I think they might have to start adding European teams. Um, and then you're going to get maybe a, a France or a Czech Republic, uh, Wales, who, you know, didn't have a good qualification. Uh, and then they're, you know, playing New Zealand and they're just kind of going, cool, all right, well, this will be easy. It might not be, but uh, uh, they have an easier time than if they have to play a playoff against uh, another European team that maybe didn't do well as well. Like if France and Italy both shit to bed in qualification, they have to play each other in a, in a playoff, that's going to be a tough match. Whereas if you have to play a, a Canada or a, a, a New Zealand, uh, you're going to have a you're going to think you're going to have an easier time to qualify and make the world cup. 
So basically what it comes down to is uh, if, if you try to make it quote unquote fair and give each, co each continent an extra slot or two, regardless of the level of competition there, then we're going to see really crap football. But then if we're going to have 48 teams, but then just have like a little uh, competition between the leftovers of each continent, then it's almost going to be basically an extra euros. Like it's just going to be the euros because it's like the teams that don't make it from Europe are still a lot better than most teams that don't make it from Asia. Like Wales, as your example, would beat most Asian top Asian teams, let alone the leftovers. Mm -hmm. So oh, might as well just cut the middle man out to just give <laughs> Europe a couple extra spots. Well, that's the thing. They, I, I, I mean, it might be, I have to check very quickly, but I haven't seen what the allotments are from going from 32 to 48. Cause that's a big jump. That's almost, that's almost 20 extra teams. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah. in the, the inter confederation playoffs for now for until the end of the 2022 world cup, is uh so the so in the asian conference it's the fourth uh the playoff winner the concacaf the fourth place team uh con Conambola, so the south american is the fifth place and then the uh i guess second round winner of the oceana so i don't want to say it's going to be new zealand but it's almost a lot of the times new zealand or like the faroe mm -hmm. islands because uh, Australia is usually the winner, so um, you mean Solomon Islands? Oh, so, sorry, Solomon Islands. Yes, Faroe Islands <laughs> is uh, is rugby. Yes, yeah, yes, so big sweaters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, maybe even Fiji as well. But looking at the uh, looking at the teams, yeah, it's New Zealand, Solomon Islands, New Caledonia, Tahiti. Fiji, yeah, so. The highest ranking is one eighteen out of all those teams. So, yeah. But yeah, going they still they I, they can't even really be justified at an automatic spot for that continent. But I guess if we are going to forty eight. That would be the way. Just give them one and a half. But just can you imagine the level of quality football that would be if like Solomon Island played in. The second best team of that continent. It's just not. Oh, so water. that's not. So Australia. I forgot Australia plays in the Asian Federation, not in the Oceania. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, going yeah. So they get a total of point zero. Yeah, point five slots. <laughs> they don't even get a qualifier. They yeah. they get a chance to play for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's usually New Zealand. Solomon Islands is at one forty one compared to New Zealand's one eighteen. So. Uh, there, you know, the Cook Islands are unranked. Tonga's two hundred three. Samoa's one ninety four. It's it's yeah. It's, <laughs> there are eleven teams split. Stick to rugby, two. people. Stick to <laughs> rugby. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. Quickly reading. Um. For the twenty twenty six, but yeah, it's. I guess it's the, the counter argument to that would be is like it helps the sports grow the sport grow in uh, 
more countries mm. uh, bringing that national excitement of the team participating in the World Cup when they didn't before. But I don't know if that's a fair argument to make for a sport like soccer that is the mm. most popular sport in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I get I get that for something like basketball that's like on the cusp like it's just to me it's like the second most popular sport after soccer globally uh, that if you just allow more countries to participate it will give even if their teams get their butt kicked at least a country participated in the international tournament mm-hmm. but I feel like with soccer it's it, enough countries already have a national team and people know about the sport well enough that having more teams is really not going to compete in the world cup is really not going to make the population care more that much than they did before. Well, that's the thing. How long did it take for a team like in Iceland to like just be that underdog and do well and then qualify from the euros to the world cup and kind of become the fascination and the big story, you know, the little country that could, what once every you know 40 years do you get a you know a story like that so the potential to have more will be good news and those people watching and caring but they already get so many people watching yeah so okay i i did find it so going forward for the 2022 to get to 40 or 2026 to get to the 48 teams so the Asian Conference will have eight teams instead of the 4.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, African Federation will get nine teams compared to the five. Wait, hold on. Asia is 4.5? As, yeah, as of right now for 2022. As of right now? Yeah. Uh, 2022, sorry. Sorry, I thought that's the... 2026. Okay. Oh no, 2026. Sorry, they get yeah. they get eight. So there are no more there are no more yeah, half sense. there are no more half positions. There they're all solid. Mm-hmm. So uh, Africa will get nine instead of five. Concacaf will get six instead of the three point five. Mm-hmm. Uh, South America will get six instead of the four point five. Oceania okay. will get one instead of the point five. So they will get an automatic okay. qualifier. Um, New Zealand. New, yeah, Zealand. New Zealand, yes. Congratulations. We'll see you in 2026. <laughs> uh, and uh, Europe will get 16 instead of 13. Okay. And then All we right. will have two uh, playoff winners, whatever that new playoff format will be. Okay. Uh, okay, so like right off the bat, when you say uh, Asia is going to get eight, right? Yes. Uh, that's that's insane to me because I cannot name more than six teams in Asia that would want to watch uh, them play football uh, in the world that level. Uh, that's so that that's uh, that right off the bat is too much. At least there, and even like North America, it's it's going up to six, right? Three point five to six. Yeah, yeah. That that's again, uh, Mexico, Canada, USA, Jamaica, uh, and then it it should be like basically them, and then maybe one team from uh, Nick between Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador. So. I don't know. Hmm. So Mexico, it, Costa Rica. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So maybe there is, 
there is there is there is yeah there is more of a case to be made for for more teams from North America from Conquer or sorry from Concacaf. Uh, but yeah, like uh, that a- that Asia thing that just sounds like uh, some uh, oil money uh, <laughs> in someone like lubed up someone's pocket or something because Asia doesn't deserve eight spots. So I think uh, they do it by by percentage. And with Africa, so they they have the percentage. Of, uh, so they have percentage breakdown. So in the Asian Conference, there are forty six eligible members, and they give them eight spots. So yeah. that's a seventeen percent. Uh, percentage for members in the final same thing with africa they get there's 54 they give them nine so that's 17 percent Concacaf, there are 35 members mm-hmm. eligible members i should say uh six spots for 17 south america is the only kind of outlier to this because they only have 10 eligible members since the countries are so big and they get six spots so there's 60 percent. but i mean when you have brazil argentina Chile, like any one of those 10, maybe nine out of the 10 could make it in a year. So um, yeah, Oceana gets 9%. Even even like the worst. I'm sorry, I was going to say like, like, especially like South America, like even like some of the worst teams in the final round, if you want to like, worse is in quotation marks. But like a team like Bolivia is still better than most Asian teams. Mm-hmm. And they get spanked left and right by the big team. So yeah, it makes sense that that rule should not apply to South America. Yeah, and yeah, Europe has fifty-five members for sixteen spots. They get a twenty-nine percent. Uh, so I mean, they they have the second biggest percentage, which I mean makes sense to me. But yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a. I I feel like it's gonna be with the pandemic. 2021 for soccer internationally is almost going to seem like a mad dash. Yeah. A lot of injuries, uh, lower quality games. We're already seeing that in 2020 uh, champions league is the level of competition and even premier league is not the same as before. Players are tired. The games are looking sloppy after the 70th minute mark for the larger teams because uh, they're competing in so many uh, competitions and they didn't have a proper summer break. So if if if, if uh, that's any indication of how 2021 is, it's just going to compound. And uh, <laughs> there's going to be more soccer, uh, but it's going to be lower quality soccer, unfortunately. Do you think the Euros are going to go off, or are they going to get canceled? Uh, they're going to they're going to continue the Euros. There's too much money for it to be canceled. Uh, I, but uh, I think uh, it's going to be very difficult to plan it for people to be in the stadium. So it's going to be televised. Uh, it just because of the different levels of the virus in different countries, it just doesn't make sense to allow people to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Now they had planned as a celebration for the 60th anniversary uh, that there are going to be several different countries hosting group stages mm-hmm. and qualification just as a celebration. Of course, a pandemic happens when you don't just have one concentrated country. Uh, you have a, a multitude of places. Uh, do you think they're going to scrap that and just pick a country and have as best of a bubble scenario like we've seen in North America? Or are they just going to keep hosting it where they planned and 
hope for the best. I, hello? I'm here, yeah. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry, your video froze, <laughs> I wasn't sure. Um, so I think that it's too much of a burden for uh, one country to handle everything, but I do think they're going to reduce it to maybe uh, two to four countries for, uh, yeah, maybe probably two, two countries for the group stages and then uh, take it from there. Uh, just because, like, and especially because the countries that have the capacity, the stadiums of quality to handle this are some of the worst hits, like the UK, like Italy, Spain, France. These uh, Germany is not hit as much, so maybe Germany could be the place. But in general, the countries with big stadiums all all over that could handle this are hit pretty hard by COVID and I don't think they're going to be able to handle they can't even run their own domestic leagues efficiently and games are getting cancelled left and right so uh, yeah it, it, might, it might end up being basically the two countries who have been hit who've had handled the virus the best and have the biggest uh, the most amount of uh, stadiums available for these games to continue because yeah the other the, the old way is just not going to work of splitting it between different countries now just linking looking at the map um so i guess the outlier one uh would be uh baku uh, i have no idea how uh they are taking <laughs> the pandemic um rome uh i guess italy's better but uh russia i think that's safe that they're gonna not go to russia um same thing with spain but there's a a group of three so london dublin and glasgow could you see those three countries kind of coming together since they're travel wise they're so close so you don't have to worry about traveling so much once the group stage is over um it, even with those, there's um, there's restrictions based on which uh, part you're talking about because mm -hmm. the Scottish government is handling uh, this differently than the English government and Welsh government and North Ireland, Northern Ireland. So, uh, at least in the context of the Isles, I think it will be difficult, and the bureaucracy is going to be too much. I just, I uh, personally, I just don't think that's something that, considering how bad is happening. In the British Isles, that it, uh, like the virus is so bad in the British Isles that I don't want to see it here. I mm. prefer not. As I said, like my my thing would be Germany and another semi-big I mean, European country. Yeah, I I mean maybe Rome. Like I'm looking geography. They're, they're hit. They're, 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 they've been hit pretty bad. Like yeah. you can't organize it. The only country that I can think, you know what, Portugal. There we go. That's the one. Portugal and Germany. Those will be my two picks uh, because that's what they did the Champions uh, League last year too in Portugal. Mm, yep. So now, so they did. They did kind of the bubble. Is Europe really opposed to a bubble like North America? Like once the idea of the bubble and you explain the bubble to people, everyone was on board yeah. for the bubble. It didn't seem like it was a very popular thing to talk about in Europe. Uh, do you think a bubble 
for a tournament like this anyways would be the best bet it should be the best bet that's that's the logical way about going about this but then that comes down to uefa and them uh figuring something out with fifa and domestic leagues that says we need to just for whatever decision making however you're planning your season uh tell your sponsors if you can that for uh two months or month and a half we're gonna have a bubble Mm. and uh so that that should be the way and i don't think the population uh is gonna have uh uh much resistance to it there might be some some knuckleheads that are like no i wanted to you know go to watch the game but it's not like you can really go to stadiums as it stands so yeah there's no fans the bubble is the best scenario so you still want it to happen yeah yeah because if we don't i mean we can have how was the champions league which was no bubble and no fans so (laughs) that was the worst case so at least let's have a bubble and no fans and have it happen in germany you're not going to see it let them do the games in germany and portugal uh well if it does go off uh and we do have a european championship we do have two new teams uh in uh, in the tournament, we have uh, Finland, which I was surprised that they never made it before, uh, and North Macedonia. Um, Finland being in Group B and North Macedonia being in Group uh, C. Uh, do you have? Do we have a kind of a clear cut? Like, you know, this team looks pretty good, and they could go on a long run, or? With everything that's going on, it's kind of a coin flip, and uh, we could see some upsets. Uh, are you saying just between those two teams, or in general? Uh, just in general. Uh, from, from what I've seen since the pandemic on an international level, uh, it hasn't had the amount of disruption and impact that I would have expected Uh uh, on the national teams. So if that's an indication, I don't think we're going to see many more upsets than uh, before. But with that said, uh, there is the fatigue factor of uh, better teams are naturally going to have players that are going to be playing in the Champions League. And uh, there might be that. So yeah, if, if, I, if I had to take any you know, bets on which teams would do well that otherwise they wouldn't do well would be somewhere like the country that's semi-strong in football as it stands. So like uh, like an Eastern European, like a Croatia or uh, Ukraine or a team of that caliber that wasn't hit that hard by COVID and doesn't have that many players playing in the Champions League as opposed to like a country like Spain where their players are all exhausted because of domestic and then Champions League and then international football. And from like uh, Northern Macedonia and uh, Finland, between between those two, uh, uh, Northern Macedonia actually has, has a lot of individually talented players, but because the they're always been the weakest of the Balkan teams, which are always solid. They don't get enough attention. So I think between those two, I see Northern Macedonia go a bit further uh, as a first-time appearance compared to Finland. 
And uh, going back over to North America one more time, uh, they've tried to get the uh, CONCACAF Champions League kind of uh, going. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been really dominated by Central and uh, American teams, uh, especially the Tigres, uh, who have made the finals uh, countless times, uh, defeating uh, you know Montreal, Toronto for Canadian clubs. Uh, they take on uh, LAFC uh, in the final for this year. That was again uh, just delayed, and uh, just everything. Do you see? Sorry, I- oh, God. So, sorry, I thought for a second you got cut off because like it stopped. So, oh no, I, was- I got I, I I got into Tigres beating uh, Canadian teams. That's and then it got kind of choppy. So yeah, so uh, Tigres are no uh, stranger to uh, being in the Concacaf Champions League, and yeah. again uh, they beat uh, LAFC uh, two to one to win the Concacaf Champions League, uh, which gets them yeah. a spot at the uh, Club World Cup. Uh, do you see a North American or MLS team finally beating uh, a powerhouse uh, in the uh, Central uh, Central Leagues or uh, the Mexican League? Um, uh, I don't see why it hasn't happened yet. I would have expected with the amount of money that's being funneled into it, the quality of the facilities uh, that by now somebody would have broken that streak of uh, Mexican dominance. Uh, but uh, of who it would be, I wouldn't be able to tell you, man. Like uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a hard one. Um, and uh, it, it just shows you the difference between, uh, the, I mean, maybe, maybe going back to something we talked about earlier, the culture, how much culture has an impact uh, uh, when it comes down to how, pe- how many people follow it and the quality of the league is that, um, yeah, just uh, Mexico has, has had a much stronger football culture for centuries and they didn't have to have these four, like foreign players from, like David Beckham come and buy a team and start stuff to get people interested in it. So on the grassroots levels, they have more talent and uh, it, it will, it, it should have basically, it should have happened by now. I'm shocked that it hasn't happened considering how much money has been thrown at this problem or trying to solve, like try to get a winning uh, MLS team. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, Hopefully so- it happens. I, I hope so too. Uh, as of uh, this year, so four MLS clubs, uh, the past four MLS teams to make the finals have lost. So LAFC lost, uh, TFC lost in 2018, Montreal lost in 2015, and Real Salt Lake lost in 2011. Yeah. Uh, so there hasn't been an MLS, theoretically, at, North American minus Mexico or MLS team winner. Uh, it's uh, and no, uh, no, uh, yeah, no team has uh, really kind of pushed through. Uh, now it does look like they're expanding the CONCACAF Champions League for 2023. 
uh, which may help. Uh, but is there anything that the MLS teams can do to kind of get to the same level as the Mexican clubs or are they doing all that they can? Uh, re re relax immigration laws so more Mexicans can come <laughs> and play for their teams. <laughs> Uh, I'm kidding. No, no. It's it as both you and I know. It's it's changing. There is definitely more uh, uh, Canadian and American uh, kids that are playing soccer. So it's just a matter of time. And as I said earlier, it's like I'm kind of shocked that it already hasn't happened. Uh, but uh, with the likes of uh, Davies and David, it's it's just a matter of time. Some of those people that don't go over the pond, the young ones end up pulling an upset against uh, a, a Mexican team that gets too cocky in the finals and one mistake. But, uh, yeah. And the magical question, is there a way to replicate without copy and pasting the Champions League magic that happens in Europe for North America? Even so many fans in North America watch religiously the Champions League. Is there a way to make people pay attention to the uh, CONCACAF Champions League? Uh, no. Uh, I, and that has to do with uh, perception uh, and uh, marketing. I, it's just, I mean, again, bringing culture back into this is like Champions League is the, the Nike of football, uh, the intercontinental football competitions. So you can have your new balance in North America. You can, we can produce really good quality running shoes, but uh, Nike is that brand. That's the one that people recognize. It's the one that's established uh, across the globe. People that don't speak English see that logo, they know exactly what it is. And, that, and that's, that's, that's the context. It might be a bad metaphor, but basically what I'm getting at is that just the cultural significance and how much history the Champions League has. Yeah, and not only that North America can't re re reproduce it, uh, even somewhere like South America with Copa Libertadores, it's, it's, it's really good football. The quality of the game is amazing, but it just doesn't have that allure that the, the anthem when it kicks in is not the same like goosebumps that runs through your spine after lockdown is over and you hear that anthem, <laughs> she's just like, yes, Champions League is back. Like, it's so you're saying it hits they need to have an anthem first and then everything else will fall into place. <laughs> yes, yes. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, but, uh, and, and, this, and that's the thing, like, we, we need to make sure, like, we don't fall into the trap of trying to keep up with uh, uh, Europe. Uh, just need to do, do our... I mean, at this point, I don't know if I should say R or your, but in, in North America, they just need to do their own thing. Know the uh, limit of their audience, budget within that, not try to uh, go too big because if you set expectations too high, that's when things fall apart. You put too much money into it. It's not viable. The whole thing collapses. Just build little by little and uh, know that something like Copa Lipidores, which has if not as good as level of talent of, as Europe, it, pretty good. If that can't keep up with it, no one can, you know, replicate that magic.
Mm. That's just that's just uh, if you want to call it Eurocentricity, if whatever you want to call it, it's just what it is. That's that's an excellent way of putting it's, it. Uh, you know, focus on your own thing, and yeah. if it works, it'll yeah. it'll grow. Don't try and copy because we're not Europe. Yeah, basically, what I basically think about it this way: there is no way anywhere else in the world is going to outdo Super Bowl. They can have their uh, their uh, American football leagues or whatever. They could have good quality of American football leagues, but even fifty years from now, Super Bowl is that original thing. It's the mecca of it. It's the main thing. So it's going to have that. It's going to be hard to keep up with something of that level of cultural significance. Mm. that's a good way of putting it and uh that's uh that's it for us here today uh Kasra, as always thank you so much for for joining us and we'll uh we'll definitely have you back as the seasons progress and uh see uh where poor sheffield united ends up here <laughs> uh hopefully below brighton <laughs> wherever <laughs> yeah man thank you for having me on it's a pleasure and uh, I guess Christmas time with the time difference it worked out this time a bit better because last time I think it was like 10.30am for you on a Sunday Uh, it's okay it worked out now Uh, thank goodness for for the breaks and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be in less of a lockdown the next time we talk to you likewise hopefully there is no lockdown for you next time we talk (laughs) 